so two weeks ago in Minneapolis, I preached on Jonah 4, and this past week I preached on Jonah 1, and now Paul asked me to preach on Jonah 2. Couldn't work with me a little bit. Throw me a bone and let me preach on something I've just preached on. Instead, he asked me to preach on something else. Um, but that's okay, because Jonah chapter 2 is such an interesting chapter in the story. And, um, and Todd asked me to read the entire uh, story of Jonah. That's correct, right? And I, by the way, I love that you take time to do this. Um, it's so easy for us to preach a chapter and forget that it's part of a story. Uh, and so we preach it in isolation. And, and other churches, honestly, are just so worried about time that they don't take time to, to read it in the context. And so this is important. So um, let's dig into the book of Jonah and uh, read this from chapter 1 to chapter 4. And then we're going to um, pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into chapter 2 in particular. So... Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them, in, uh, go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. Thank you. Um, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the, the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. It's amazing how that just happens, right? It's amazing. Um, then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the, word, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought, me, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. 
Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? May God bless the, this morning the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We praise you, O Lord, that you are a God who speaks, a God who reveals himself to us. Father God, in such amazing ways, to see you, to see your hand at work in this world. Father, I pray now as we seek to consider chapter 2, as we study and meditate upon upon these words that you through your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to seeing more of you to knowing you more deeply and intimately and ultimately O Lord to be transformed more and more into the image and likeness of your Son our Savior Jesus Christ Amen After reading the book of Jonah this morning, the question that comes to my mind is this. Which of these is not like the other? Which of these is not like the other? The idea here is that Jonah Jonah chapter 2 is very different than Jonah chapter 1, chapter 3, or chapter 4. Whereas the other three chapters are simply narrative, the telling of a story, chapter 2 is substantially different. First of all, the bulk of it is a prayer uttered by Jonah to God from within the belly of the great fish. That in itself sets it apart. But secondly, Jonah's prayer is poetic in nature. And as such, it means that we must read it, study it, and consider it differently than we do the narrative chapters. When studying narrative, whether it be the three other chapters of the book of Jonah or, for example, the entire book of 1 Samuel, the prudent course is to simply read through the story and allow the author to lead you from point A to point B. That is, after all, the point of narrative, to tell you a story, to get you from here to there. There's no such linear point in poetry. Rather, poetry is written far more as the expression of the heart and thus more of a mosaic that needs to be explored from a host of angles. Nevertheless, nevertheless, there is a functional purpose to chapter 2 
that needs to be understood before we jump into the text of chapter 2 itself. This purpose has to do with serving as a bridge in the story from chapter 1 to chapter 3. But this bridge serves as more than just a connection between storylines from Jonah being swallowed by a great fish to his journey and ministry in Nineveh. Instead, this poetic interlude provides us with an emotionally charged and thematically driven transition that reveals more and more of the personal side of the prophet than narrative ever could. In other words, there's a reason why we have this chunk of poetry here rather than simply having a couple of of narrative verses. After all, the writer of this story could have simply written this way. Jonah, after being swallowed by a whale or great fish, prayed fervently to the Lord. And after three days, the Lord spoke to the fish and had vomited Jonah up on dry land. That could have simply been the end of chapter one, and we could have chapter two or chapter three would have become chapter two, and chapter four would have become chapter three, and Jonah would have been chapter three chapters. So why do we have this poetic prayer smack dab in the middle? I think it has to do with giving us insight, more and more insight into the prophet. And in fact, it gives us insight into his heart and mind. And it helps us to understand a bit more, not fully, but a bit more about what's going on with the prophet in chapter 1. From chapter 1, we realize that Jonah has served, the pro- has served the Lord as a prophet in Israel for some time. But now, upon the command to go to Nineveh and preach against it, the prophet seeks to flee from the presence of God. The question that is begged to be answered in chapter 1 is why? Why does a prophet who has demonstrated faithfulness flee when God calls? Paul preached, I think, on 2 Kings 14, or at least integrated that into one of his earlier sermons. There we see Jonah speaks as the word of the Lord comes to him, and the test of a prophet was when the word of the Lord comes to you and you speak it, does it come to fruition? Jonah speaks about the expansion of the borders. The borders are expanded. Jonah's proven to be a faithful prophet of the Lord. So in chapter 1, why does Jonah freak out and seek to flee from the presence of God? Well, the reality is is chapter 1 doesn't answer that question. In fact, you have to wait really until chapter 4 to get at the heart of it. but I think chapter 2 helps us a bit. That said, let me summarize the central truth of chapter 2 for us, and then we'll move on into the text. The central truth of this passage, that is chapter 2, is this, as I, th- as I understand it. Recognizing the glorious truth that salvation belongs to the Lord should lead us to long for God's salvific work in the lives of others. Let me say that again. Recognizing the glorious truth that salvation belongs to the Lord should lead us to long for God's salvific work in the lives of others, more specifically, God's saving work in the lives of the lost. Let me paraphrase myself in saying, 
if we know that God is the worker of salvation and he has wrought it in our own lives, should we not desire it in the lives of others? And I think that's the problem with Jonah. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. Let's take some time and look at Jonah's prayer. As we begin with the text of this prayer itself, we need to first consider its composition. Jonah's prayer from within the great fish is comprised of eight verses. But within those eight verses, we discover the the paraphrased referencing of ten different psalms. How many of you knew that? It helps if you have one of those Bibles with the, the help text next to it. As I imagine it, it's this way. You know when you're praying and God brings a, a scripture to mind and you kind of integrate that into your prayer, but you may not get all the words right. I like to call it the Paglia paraphrase at that point. I'm getting the aim and the intent right. I'm, I'm just not maybe getting all the words exactly right. It doesn't match with with the exact text of the ESV or the NIV or the NLT for that matter. But I'm praying those scriptures as God brings them to mind. That is what I think is happening here inside the belly of the whale. Jonah is praying. He's crying out to the Lord and these psalms are filling his mind. And so he prays them back to God. In that sense, it's a beautiful example of praying the scriptures. He begins to pray passages from the Psalms and had he used the exact words and the the fuller phrasing of the passages, this is how his prayer would have sounded. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord The Lord answered me and set me free. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with your waves. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried out for your help. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim waiting for my God. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came up to you. 
into your holy temple. I hate those who regard, pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You know the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemy. You have set my, set my feet in a broad place. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. That's all those psalms that Jonah prayed within their larger text brought together. It's beautiful, isn't it? In that sense, it's really an extraordinary prayer. A second consideration that we need to make regarding this prayer, this entire chapter, again, has to do with the fact that we're looking at poetry. One of the important things to remember when studying poetry is the tone and tenor of a passage. Another way to think of this is from the emotional side. What, are mo what emotions are being expressed by the author? What emotions are being evoked in us as we read this? How is it moving us, as it were? As the prayer begins, we should have a sense of darkness, of brooding, of gloom, of despair. The opening verses express themes of distress. He speaks of Sheol. Do you know what Sheol means? It's the place of hell in the Old Testament. That's the name for it. That's what he's speaking of here. He talks of, of the deep and of being covered over of being driven away. In the larger psalms being used by Jonah, there is an added sense of wrath and judgment, as well as the Lord's hand being the cause of it. In this sense, Jonah rightly recognizes the predicament he is in, and that it is the Lord's hand that has brought it to fruition. Here again, the sovereignty of God is on display in the book of Jonah. It is in chapter 1, it is here in chapter 2, it is in chapter 3, it is in chapter 4. These things don't happen by accident to Jonah. They happen by way of the Lord. But slowly, as this prayer continues to unfold, the tone and the tenor begin to change. Whereas once there was only darkness and despair, now there seems to be a bit of light shining within the gloom. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your temple. The idea here being that Jonah shall once again be in Jerusalem, enjoying the presence of the Lord in a way that only existed there at the temple. In this way, Jonah's prayer emulates and recalls the prayer Solomon made at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 6 through 8. But even more, it recalls what preceded the dedication. Does anyone remember what happened before Solomon prayed? The temple has now been completed. It is one of the, considered one of the ancient wonders of the world at that time. The glory of the Lord descends and fills it. This is where the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord exists. 
That's why worshiping in the temple was like no other place, at least for Jonah, because that is where the presence of the Lord was. And so to be in the temple was to be with God. And yet what did Jonah seek to do in chapter 1? Flee from the presence. All he wanted was to be away from the presence, but now that he is, all he wants is to be back into the presence. And there is, as I said, this shift in tone and tenor because he seems to have a bit more hope of actually getting there. Jonah's hope continues to build as he prays. And in the midst of some very dark verses, Jonah finishes verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came up to you into your holy temple. Once again, a sense of hopefulness that his prayers would ascend and that God would hear. And then with verse 9 comes a sense of certainty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Again, the use of temple imagery, but this time with the certainty of being there and worshiping God in the midst of his presence. The movement of this prayer is important to notice as it emotionally moves us from chapter 1 and the darkness that ensued fill us with, with an expectancy for what will come in chapters 3 and 4. Out of darkness and despair, storm and gloom and being swallowed with a whale, shine hope and the expectancy of God's presence and God's blessing. Finally then, we come to the end of Jonah's prayer, which concludes with this high-soaring overarching declaration from Psalm 3, verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Here, despair has given way to joy as the prophet declares that salvation lies in the hands of God alone. There is no other source. Salvation belongs to the Lord, whom he fears, as he professed in chapter 1. There is, this is who my God is, declares Jonah. This is what lies in his hand. There is no one else. There is no other God who can save. Only Yahweh saves. And I am one of Yahweh's people, for I am a Hebrew. What a glorious truth this is. And we know it to be true, don't we? Who here would argue with the prophet at this point? Who here would contradict Jonah's declaration? Anyone? Bueller? No one would. But there's a problem with this prayer. It sounds beautiful, right? The movement in it is beautiful as it takes us from despair and gloom to hope and joy. And then there's this wonderful climactic declaration, salvation belongs to the Lord. And so as you turn to chapter 3, what do you expect to happen? What do you expect? That Jonah with joy goes to Nineveh, right? Is that what he does? <laughs> Not at all. In fact, chapter 3 begins with, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You're thinking that after the hurling of the wind and the hurling of the waves and the hurling of the whale, I just like to use the alliteration, that you would be on your way, right? 
You're on the beach, you're pulling off the seaweed, you're heading for Nineveh. Okay, maybe stop to take a shower, but then you're heading to Nineveh. Why does the word of the Lord have to come to the prophet a second time? And we know as we go further on, <laughs> there's more and more trouble, isn't there? Jonah walks into the city. 40 days, and Nineveh will be overturned. And what's amazing, in the text there, you're preaching this next week, please note, and they believed God. They didn't believe the messenger. There was nothing about the messenger that made this special. He journeyed for more than 500 miles. It took him a long time. He was still not bleached from the belly's whale. He did not have seaweed wrapped on his head. That's what some people think, because then they link it to, well, the Ninevites worshiped the fish god. And so when Jonah, then they saw Jonah, he knew he had been inside the fish. That's garbage. And if Nathan preaches it next week, stone him. <laughs> okay, don't stone him, but take him out back and beat him. They believed God. It's a miraculous thing that happens, but then we see in the chapter 4. And what happens? When God relents, Jonah is greatly displeased. So angry with God that he begs for God to take his life. And so we're back to chapter 1 and the question, why? What is going on with the prophet? Jonah goes so far in chapter 4 as to blame God for being the reason that he fled. I fled, O Lord, because you are merciful and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You, O Lord, are why I ran, and now you, O Lord, are why I want to die. Is that what you expect after reading this prayer in Jonah chapter 2? It isn't, is it? And the reason is, is because we mistake, we make a mistake about what Jonah's doing here. Most people read chapter 2 and say, isn't this an extraordinary prayer of repentance? And that's not a, at all what it is because his actions bear out where his heart is. His actions in chapter 3 and chapter 4 bear out that this is not true repentance. Was he probably sorry for fleeing from the presence? Yeah. Was he sorry for maybe disobeying the Lord, yeah. But feeling sorry is not repentance. Turning from your sin and turning unto God with your whole heart, that is repentance. And Jonah was having none of it. One of the things that's important to note in this text is that the psalms that Jonah quotes, none of them are the, are the repentance psalms. None of them. There are seven psalms of penitence in the Psalter and none of them does he quote. But he quotes all psalms of deliverance. In fact, even this great salvation belongs to the Lord comes from Psalm 3, written by David when he's fleeing from his son Absalom 
Absalom who's trying to kill him. This is one of the most beautiful 911 calls you've ever heard. Deliver me, O Lord. Save me, O Lord. But Jonah had only one thing in mind, and that was his own salvation from his predicament and the circumstance. This is the reality that is borne out when we study the psalm as it's meant to be studied. The prophet had no care, no concern for the lost and unsaved of Nineveh. He only had concern for himself. But the amazing reality, even here in Jonah chapter 2, is that God had concern for the lost and his plan for them would not be thwarted by some disobedient and wayward prophet. God's heart is one of compassion and pity and love and mercy and grace. Jonah knew God's heart, but he did not share God's heart. Jonah knew God's compassion and mercy and loved it when it came to himself and his own people, but he did not share God's heart of compassion. And as such, he had no affection for the people of Nineveh. Here again, some have called this racism, ethnocentrism, xenophobia. Maybe so, but those are just symptoms. Those things are symptoms of a heart that has no love for anyone but yourself. Those things are symptomatic of those who love not who God loves, but who they think worthy of their love. And with this reality then, we come back to our central truth. Recognizing the glorious truth that salvation belongs to the Lord should lead us to long for God's salvific work in the lives of others. God's salvific work in the lives of the lost just as it was worked in us. Knowing God as he did Jonah's heart should have been changed. It should have been renewed. It should have been transformed to reflect, to reflect more and more the heart of God himself. But it wasn't. The challenge for us then is not to make the same mistake as did the prophet. The challenge for us then is not to be satisfied with knowing God's heart, but sharing God's heart. this reality became so acutely apparent to me when I was in Ethiopia. And I rarely do this. Rarely when I preach do I, do I ever share a personal story because I never want the sermon to be about me. Um, but in this case, it's so, it's so appropriate. I was in Ethiopia. I was in Asela, Ethiopia. I was, in fact, we were starting a new group there. I was, in fact, preparing to preach on Jonah chapter 1 the next morning as part of um, what we call a demonstrate sermon. When we go overseas, very few guys that we're working with have ever seen expository preaching, let alone um, know how to do it themselves. So we demonstrate good preaching. Um, good as in technically good. I'm not, I, I'm not trying to be not humble there. But... Um, 
aren't I an extraordinary preacher? Let me just show you how it's done. Um, <laughs> that's not how we do it. Um, so I'm laying there, just finished this fairly arduous journey into Ethiopia. And um, we're up in, up in a cell. It's beautiful there. We're up in the mountains, really. It's like, you know, 10, 11,000 feet up above sea level. Uh, Great Rift Valley. And um, uh, I'm laying in bed that night on this wonderful spring mattress that I could feel every spring poking through. Um, by this time, I had already injured my back, but we didn't realize it was my back that was the problem. I had pain coming down my left side. And um, so I'm laying in bed. I'm extremely sore from this journey. Um, I'm laying in bed on this wonderful spring mattress, as I said, and it's poking me in all the wrong places. And so I'm just laying there aching at night, knowing that I have to get up the next morning. At the same time, I'm, I'm awake, so I'm thinking about what I have to do the next morning and preach on Jonah um, to a group of men I've never met, um, to a group of men who don't even speak the same language. So I'm preaching through an interpreter then, which is a, a whole different kind of adventure when you're preaching. And um, I'm laying there, and the refrain that just kept going through my head is, do you love them the way I love them? And I have no doubt that this was God just impressing the truth of Jonah upon my heart. Do you love them like I love them? Um, as it would be, I would never be back in Ethiopia after that trip. And so how, how pertinent it was to answer that question. Because I was there for two more weeks. Do you love them like I love them? And to be honest, I got up the next morning. I, I barely slept, um, slept maybe two hours that night. Got up, preached, preached one of the worst sermons I have ever probably preached in my life. I was just so rattled from the night before. I was so rattled from God impressing the text upon me in such a way. And it was because I didn't know if I could answer the question the right way. And in some degree, we can never answer that question. Yes, fully, with the fullness of God's heart. But to be honest, when we ask that question of ourselves, do we love them? Do we love the lost the way that God loves the lost? That's one of the scariest questions I think we ever ask. And to be honest, even to this day, that was several years ago, and I'm still not sure I can answer it in a way that I'm happy, in a way as fully and completely as I should be able to. But that's the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is not a book about evangelism. It's not even a book about mission, even though both of those areas of our lives should be incredibly formulated through the book of Jonah. But that's not what these books are about. Or it's not what this book is about. Rather, this book, the story of Jonah, is first and foremost a book about the heart of God and his sovereign work to seek and save the lost. It's about his love and his mercy and his compassion upon the unsaved. How does John 3.16 go again? 
for God so shall not perish but have eternal life. Thank you from the mouths of babes. For God so loved the world that he was willing to send and sacrifice his very own son to die. That's how God loves the world. How do you love the world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us that we do not love the world and the lost of the world like you do. Forgive us, O Lord, that we are far more like Jonah than any of us here would care to admit. Forgive us, O Lord when we think first of ourselves rather than thinking first of you. But we pray, O Lord, give us hearts like yours. Father, give us hearts like yours that ache like yours aches, that love like yours loves, that have compassion and mercy and grace as does yours. Father God, begin that transforming work this very moment and may it carry us throughout our lives. This we pray in your name. Amen.